1: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of We Made a Beer. I'm Louise. I'm Lucy. And we're going to take you on a lovely little journey with us as we, two beer enthusiasts, try our hands at learning about beer. To do this, we'll be learning to brew, drinking some really interesting beer, and chatting to some folks who really know their stuff. In this episode, we learn to brew our very first beer.
2: You're definitely going to make beer at this stage. (laughs) It tastes like we don't know.
1: We find out what's actually going on when beer ferments. And
3: how long can the orgy last?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Generally five
0: days.
1: And we chat with the co-founders of one of London's latest beer innovations, Ubrew.
0: They did actually do a sting operation on You brew Some guys from HMRC came in unannounced, and then this guy in a suit's like, Messrs horseful and denim. And we're like, yeah. And then they're like, we want to talk to you about your business. And they rushed upstairs to make sure we weren't destroying any documents or anything.
3: A quick intro caveat. We live in London, which is expensive as hell, and neither of us currently has a big enough place to homebrew. So all of our brewing in this series will be happening at a place called U-Brew, You Brew is an open brewery where you brew the beer. You can become a member and use their equipment and generally go to town on it. It's reinventing the home brewing scene and it's already allowed thousands of people to brew their own beer on decent kit without pissing off their housemates and partners and landlords. They kindly agreed to teach myself and Louise, two complete beginners, how to brew. At this point, we should point out that not only is this our first podcast ever, We've never actually brewed anything other than a cup of tea before now. So this podcast is basically us exploring beer world by tasting lots, asking questions, making big brewing balls-ups and correcting them, and chatting to some of the most knowledgeable people in beer world.
1: Over the course of our series, we're going to try our hand at brewing various different beers, getting more confident and adventurous with each brew, and hopefully making some really interesting and tasty beer.
3: Each episode, we'll also explore a different beery theme, We'll take a look at the past, present and the future of beer in London, hear some wildly different definitions of the word craft and we'll argue the case for great lager.
1: We'll also find out how the rest of the world is influencing the beer we make in Britain and explore whether the beer
3: industry is doing enough to encourage diversity amongst its brewers and drinkers. So we're two big beer fans. We regularly drink in tap rooms and it's not a real holiday if we don't go to a local brewery and go on a tour. But despite this enthusiasm, up till now, all we really knew about the actual process was that water plus barley plus hops equals beer. The actual science and labour we knew very little about. So what better way to kick off our podcast than by learning how to brew our own beer?
1: Heads up though, this episode gets a little bit technical. The actual process of brewing takes a solid four hours. But we're just going to be giving you the step-by-step highlights. For the full story, including pictures, head over to our blog at (laughs) weMadeAbeer.co.uk. On our first day at Ubrew, we made an IPA. IPA stands for India Pale Ale. And not only is it most craft beer lovers' go-to beverage, it's got a really interesting history behind it.
3: Back in the 1700s, the British Empire was occupying India, and they were missing their British brews. India was just too hot to brew decent beer, so Britain was sending over all its pale ales by sea. But, by the time they crossed the ocean, they were tasting pretty rough and tired. One brewer decided to shove a whole load of hops into his brews, which acted as a natural preservative and kept the beer fresh during the long journey. The style evolved from there and got crisper and fresher and hoppier, super refreshing in that hot Indian sun. Back in Britain, the style got slightly bastardised, and IPAs became dilute and watery. However, it was revived in the 1970s by American brewers, who went hot mad and started making incredibly refreshing, piney, citrusy thirst quenches. British brewers have recently jumped aboard the IPA train, and hipsters, foodies and craft beer fans across the UK are absolutely loving it.
1: So, that's what an IPA is, and we had the privilege of brewing our first ever beer, alongside You Brew's co-founder Matt Denham. Here's Matt teaching us how to brew from the very first step.
2: So we're brewing a IPA today, um, the first of many in this amazing series, which is going to be cool. And we're going to be brewing a 5.5% IPA, super hoppy, super piney, super floral. You know, what people expect of an IPA, but we're going to make it our own and kind of our own take on it, which is quite cool. The main ingredient that I want to talk about right now is water water is the base of all beer and you can quickly get excited about the hops you can quickly get excited about all the grains all the different things you can put into it but if you don't get the base ingredient right then the rest of your beer is not going to be very good. Okay?
1: So, this is quite sciencey actually.
2: Yes. I didn't really want to start with this like super sciencey, but it is important to know that most of beer is actually water. And if you get that right, we're going to have a really good beer. The first beer tasting I ever did started with us just tasting water. And I was like, what did I just sign up for? This kind of sucks. But it was incredibly interesting because we just, we mess around with the different acids and changing the composition of the water to really understand how much it actually affects the beer. Now, IPAs originally came from Burton-upon-Trent. Burton-upon-Trent sits on a calcium bed and it's really clean, really soft water. We're right in the middle of Bermondsey, we're right in the middle of London, and London is known for porters and darker beers because of the high concentration of calcium carbonate, quite hard water. So what we're going to do is we're going to remove some of that hardness and we're going to add in gypsum and a little bit of calcium to actually try to mimic Burton-Upon-Trent. Okay, and we'll put that right in what we call a hot liquor tank.
1: Cool, so we've got our hot liquor. What's next?
2: Okay, we're all going to go scurry upstairs and get our base grains and specialty grains ready for the mash time.
1: Cool, off we go then.
2: Where you are right now is in the Uru ingredient Ingredients Store, and everything in all these big, giant 25 kilo bags is mostly all of the base grains okay in here this is it's mostly barley some of it's going to be wheat um it's malt you can see this here this is crushed grains you stick your hand in there so we're going to taste this to taste like horlicks. so you can taste it now i actually do recommend Mhm. Mm, it's good right and, and it gets sweeter and sweeter mm. and that's what your, your mouth is doing essentially what we're about to do is converting those starches to sugars so this is a base grain um, and this is where we're going to get a, most of our starches and a little bit of our flavor. Everything over here is different types of specialty grains and these give them their flavors. So we know if we put in x amount of base grain with x amount of water we will get x amount of sugar in that wort. So that's what we're going to do today. We've already done the calculations here and we are using extra pale malt, so Amerisader, caramel malt, Munich, and a dark crystal. I'm
1: just say dark crystal sounds like it would be sexy as a malt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a sexy beer. You're gonna get kind of biscuity flavors from the Munich and the Marisader, caramels, and a little aromatic malt smells and flavors off of that. And the dark crystal is the same. You also get some of those beery malty flavors that are hopefully we're gonna balance this beer. So these malty flavors come through and really dance and, and get flavored up with the, uh, the hops we're gonna use as well. So this is where I guys want you guys to get your hands actually dirty.
1: And that's exactly what we did. We weighed our grains, ground up our speciality malts, and made our first major cock-up of the series.
3: Yeah, according to our recipe, we needed 60 grams of that sexy, dark crystal malt. We somehow managed to put in 320. We still have absolutely no idea how we did that, but it happened. We didn't notice until it was too late. And we ploughed on, blissfully ignorant of our error. And We took our bucket full of malt back to the brewery to start the next phase of our brew, the mash.
2: Okay, so the next step is actually going to mash in these grains. What that is, is mixing water with the grains that we just weighed out. So it's going to keep it at a nice consistent temperature. For this recipe, it's 65 degrees. Too low, you don't get enough sugars or the right type of sugars. Too high, you kill all of the sugars. So this is going to take some teamwork. Somebody's going to pour in the grains. Somebody's going to stir and then somebody's going to control the water. We want like a nice kind of northern porridge. Yeah, not, nothing too thin, but nice, consistent, and something you don't want to eat for breakfast, okay.
1: okay? It's a very scientific way of looking at it. <laughs> I'm going to shotgun stirring. So I'm yeah. going to stir whilst I hold the microphone. Mm-hmm. Lucy, are you going to pour? I can pour. You can pour. Okay. Matt, you're going to be water man. Yeah. yeah.
2: So we're going to kind of do this all together. Yep. I'm going to put a little bit of water in there first. And now we can start pouring in, orange Pour stir. What you want is consistency. You want all of these grains to be covered up. You're gonna start getting some really beautiful smells at this point. Perfect. So we've got our base grains in there. We've hit our 65 degree temperature and we're gonna put the top on our mash tun now and start our one hour countdown.
1: So at this point, our malt is in the mash tun, which is kind of like a big thermos flask. We've got our one hour timer on and we've not got much to do for the next hour. So we thought we'd take this opportunity to head out to the Ubrew beer garden, which is kind of just a few tables under a rather noisy railway arch, and find out more about our brewing guru, Matt, and his Ubrew co-founder, Wilf. We started with the obvious question. What is Ubrew?
2: You Brew is an open brewery. It's a radically open brewery, so we provide the space, equipment, ingredients, and knowledge for you to brew your own beer. It's like a gym, but you get less
0: healthy. You pay your monthly membership fee, but instead of coming down to use our equipment to exercise, you use it to brew beer and destroy your liver.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. It's like the best gym ever. Um, Could you give us a quick introduction to yourselves?
0: Okay, so my name's Wilf. I'm one of the co-founders of Ubrew. Um, I generally tend to take care of the marketing and branding sides. I also do a lot of strategy work and uh, negotiating with investors. I like beers and I drink as many as I can.
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt. I'm one of the co-founders of Ubrew as well. Uh, my main roles here are within sales, um, finance, operations and all things Youbrew. Um, And it is absolutely our passion.
1: And why did you form You Brew?
2: Um, Well,
0: basically right now, homebrewers kind of, um, they're in a sort of situation where they can either brew at home and make beer with varied results, or they cannot (laughs) brew at all, really. Um, What they do to brew at home is they're quite courageous. They kind of rip the heating elements out of Aldi value kettles and (laughs) shove them in plastic buckets, which they then fill with water risking their life for beer which is really admirable but we kind of save them that trouble you know like if you don't actually want to risk your life for the sake of a drink you can just come to you brew brew it on safe equipment that's been built for you you then don't need to keep that stuff in your flat Um, We also have a background in co-working spaces. So Matt um, worked at a co-working space that I based myself at in my former life. And one night we were just in the kitchen and Matt kind of came up to me and we were chatting. We both knew that we were interested in brewing and beer. And then he said, hey, I've kind of got this idea where we can take uh, the co-working space model and apply it to brewing. And I sort of just stopped what I was doing and I looked at him in the eyes and I said, Matt. You've changed my fucking life. (laughs) And from there you know we just sort of went on and through many drunken decisions and hastily grabbed opportunities we've ended up where we are today.
1: So it's come from you and this fucking great idea (laughs) but where do you go like you're sitting around you're having a drink how do you take it from sitting around and having a drink to right we own a space we've got a company and we can open it and we can offer this service to loads of people.
2: So the original idea was like the world is used to beautiful design beautiful beer and things like that and the Beer world seemed to be kind of, or at least the homebrewing world, used to be, seemed to be stuck in like the 1990s and bad design. Wolf being a great designer, both of us being craft beer enthusiasts or beer enthusiasts and homebrewing, both living in our individual like tiny flats with our girlfriends. We were like, is anybody else having this problem? We put out in there a crowdfunding campaign and lo and behold in about 20 days, we had about 55 groups of five that had signed up and uh, we'd raised over 10,000 pounds when we were originally only looking for a couple grand to actually get the original kit. Um, So that was the first part of their journey, and we basically outgrew the first brewery before we even started it. So um, Wolf and I, again, another pint, another late night uh, in a, a co-working space, we're like, let's Let's do this, London wants this. It went past the 55 people, we overfunded it, and we went right to where the heart of the craft beer scene is in London, the so Bermzy Beer Mile, and uh, got the space we needed to actually open up our own open brewery.
1: What sort of struggles did you encounter, because it's um, an alcohol sort of product? Is there a lot of red tape?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, um, it's funnily enough, HMRC, they had never encountered anything quite like you brew before, So while what we were doing actually wasn't illegal, uh, there was no guidance on how to handle, you know, what You Brew is. So usually it takes a month to get approved as a brewery. It's quite an easy process. It took them four months to approve us, to fully understand what we are and what we're doing uh, they did actually do a sting operation on Ubery. So we got some guys from HMRC, came in unannounced. We were just chilling out, working. And then suddenly we <laughs> heard movement going on downstairs and we were like, oh, what's that? And then this guy in a suit's like, Messrs. Horseful and Denim. And we're like, yeah. And then they're like, we want to talk to you about your business. And they rushed upstairs to make sure we weren't destroying any documents or anything. And then they saw that we weren't, you know, desperately burning all of our uh, falsified VAT returns. And um, we're like, okay, let's go and sit down and talk about it. And we gave them a tour and, you know, they ended up sort of accepting that what we were doing wasn't breaking any rules. And then they left. And four months later, we had a license.
1: Did you give them a couple of beers to soften them up a little bit?
0: They wouldn't no. take any. They were absolutely not having any of it. We tried to, yeah, get them back to brew and stuff, but no, nah, nah, no, not into that.
3: What kind of people brew at U-Brew? Uh
0: We expected a lot of students, and that hasn't actually happened for some reason. We get some people in their 20s, but mostly it is uh, people brewing beer for their weddings, funnily enough. And then they get hooked and just brew to, you know, drink beer.
3: Have you had any people go from brewing here as a member to starting at their own commercial brewery?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, quite recently, so we've just opened up our five-barrel memberships. So people brew on 50-litre kits and 100-litre kits. And they kind of, most people brew on the 50-litre kits doing kind of 35-litre batches and things like that uh, and scale up on the 100-litre kits. Um, Because we are a commercial brewery ourselves and we're helping people actually get, their licenses here, they can kind of do a little test batch on the 50 litre kit, move up to the 100 litre kit, and actually, if it's any good and passes through our kind of quality tests, we can actually put it on tap in in our bar and actually help them. That being said, we have about 10 commercial people that have actually taken on our commercial memberships, and they're going from... 50 liters to 100 liters to 1,000 liters. Um, And quite recently, as of this month, actually one of our members has opened up their own brewery um, in North London. So we have actually, already at this stage, helped somebody actually progress on from brewing in their kitchen to brew. To owning your own brewery,
3: that must be a pretty cool feeling.
2: It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a cool feeling. Um, we thought it was going to be, you know, home brewers that would like flock to us. Hence, like why it was going to be a club. Um, but like both said, people are coming to it for fun. We, you know, we think that you know brewing should be done like drinking. It's done with mates, um, and just like we're sitting outside in the lovely sun. But inside, we have about 50 people brewing um, all together, It's quite cool. Um,
1: Can you prepare us for a brew? Because we've not done this before. Can you give us a little step-by-step of what to expect?
0: Um, Yeah, sure. So you you steep your barley in hot water for approximately an hour. You then rinse the juice from this barley, the steeped barley, and boil it. You add hops in. You can add hops at the beginning of the boil for a bitter flavour or at the end for a really aromatic flavour. The breed of hop that you add in uh, really affects the flavour of your beer and then you cool that boiled uh, barley juice down and you shove some yeast in it. The yeast is going to go crazy eating the sugar. It's going to reproduce. Yeast is actually having something of an orgy in your beer. As a byproduct um, of this orgy, it creates alcohol. um, And once it's eaten the sugar, the orgy ends, yeast calms down, you can drink your beer.
3: And how long can the orgy last? (laughs)
0: generally five days um we then afterwards leave it another five days because there are some kind of lingering aspects of the orgy that tend to happen you don't want that happening in the bottle um then actually when you bottle it you do add a bit of sugar to just get things going again slightly to create a bit of co2 which is what gives beer its bubbles
1: There seems to be a real movement at the moment. It's not just in London, it's like across the UK and there's loads of people going to these like quirky little tap rooms and generally like craft is really big. Have you noticed a surge or have I only just woken up?
0: Um, No, yeah, it's definitely happening. I mean, we're having a sort of culture shift. It's been going on for a couple of years now. But yeah, I mean, it's really kind of coming into the forefront in this last year. And I think it's just going to increase. But people just want way better beer than they ever
2: have before. From a personal background, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Um, A very much similar thing happened there. It was run by three major breweries. We called it Moose Piss. It's basically what I grew up on as a teenager and drinking Moose Piss. Um, A Canadian bad lager, essentially. Sounds great. (laughs) And it was the home brewers. So the home brewers essentially were brewing better beer than these people, and they, they knew it. They were drinking their home brewers at home and were incredibly passionate about beer and just we realized, actually, we've had enough of this moose piss. And... Started launching their own breweries. And this is just the beginning. Mm. That happened in Toronto, in London, it'll happen in Tokyo, and it'll happen in Belarusia someday. Made up country. (laughs)
0: It's a mixture between Belarus and Russia.
1: Um, We're a little spoilt in London. We've got so many places that are offering us so many great bars. So obviously, you've got the Bermondsey Beer Mile, Shoreditch is really trendy. Where else is doing craft really well?
0: Um, Manchester and Liverpool.
1: Just those things.
0: <laughs> yeah, there we go. Just those Everyone
1: else needs a catch
0: up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Bristol's doing well. Yeah, Bristol. Yeah. And some good stuff's coming out of Brighton. Other than that, everyone's doing a shit job. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Controversial words there from Messrs. Horsfall and Denham. Apologies if you're making great beer outside of those places. We should actually admit, however, that as soon as we put the mic down, Wilf then rattled off a ton of great breweries that happen to be all over the place, like Buxton, Magic Rock, Fine Ales and many, many more. So worry not. It seems like wherever you are in the UK, there's probably a great brewery
3: not too far from you. Getting back to our beer, though. Our mash is nearly done. We've got 15 minutes remaining on that one-hour timer and Matt is hurrying us back to the brewery to start a process called recirculation.
1: The process of recirculation is a bit difficult to listen to in real time as it's a huge labour of love. You open a valve at the bottom of your mash tun and let all your sugary wort drain out into a jug. You then pour this wort back over the top of your grain and you do it over and over and over again for the last 15 minutes of the mash, to clarify the wort then we need to transfer our wort from our mash tun and into our kettle because the kettle is where we're going to boil it all up and to do this we use a process called sparging. Sparging is kind of similar to recirculation but this time instead of pouring water over the top of our grain bed we use our hot liquor. Here's Matt to tell you more.
2: So sparging is when you take the rest of this hot liquor, we're going to use that water, we're going to pass it through this green veil, rinsing all of those beautiful sugars out of there, through to the bottom of the mash tun, out through a hose, into our kettle, okay? We're diluting all of that lovely wort that was really, really sweet. We're going to change the color and change the amount of actual alcohol we're going to get at this stage. So what's going to happen now, we're going to bring it up to boil. And once it's rolling, boil, it's doing several things. It's going to a sanitize that wort, and breaking down the sugars and getting it ready for flavoring. While we're doing that, we're gonna get all of our hops ready. And so when we go to hop, anything you put at the beginning is pretty much your bittering addition. You don't get any of the flavor, you just get the bitterness, okay? Anything in the middle is where your, your flavoring happens, and anything at the end is your aroma and flavors. But as you can see here, um, we've put together a hop schedule.
1: Really. So everything is on our recipe. We've got our malts on our recipe. Yeah. We've got our hops. We've got our timings. We've got everything written down for us.
2: Everything.
3: If you want to check out our IPA recipe, lovingly created by Matt himself and gloriously ballsed up by us, we've shared it on our blog, and we'll be doing the same for every beer that we make. Right now, back to the brew store room to choose and weigh our hops. <laughs>
2: Most people enjoy this quite a lot. It's something to do with hops. It's um, it's in the same family as marijuana. That might have something to do with it. Um, but it's this rather mystical, wonderful plant that makes everything just taste fantastic. Uh, we're going to be using Simcoe today. Pretty much a single hop. So this one today, Simcoe is kind of piney and it's citrusy, um, but it's quite a popular hop. It's
1: quite pungent, isn't it? There.
2: It is. It's, I mean, it smells. Um, each one will smell quite quite different. Um, the best way to actually um, smell a hop is actually called hop rubbing. you actually take a hop and you rub it between your hands. Like that, it releases a lot of the kind of the core flavor of it. I mean they're all they all look exactly the same, but they're all completely different in where they are in the world and the kind of the different flavors you get and it's a ridiculously great smell, (laughs) cool. We are going to dry hop this beer as well. After that initial fermentation is done, you can add in more flavor. Now this is usually when people add in hops, dry hops. That's where you get some of the big punchy aromas you get off some of those IPAs. You get some of those really kind of residual kind of dry flavors you get on the tongue from that. A really great way to get your beer properly nice and hoppy and properly flavorful. So there are four additions. The fourth one happens in five days from now.
3: Cool. So, as Matt mentioned, we're using Simcoe as our one and only hop in this beer. Simcoe is a hugely popular hop. It's American. It's dual purpose, which means it can be used for both bittering and for flavour. Hence why we can get away with using just Simcoe in our IPA. Hops in beer work kind of like tea bags in tea. If
1: you put a tea bag in your brew and leave it for an hour, you'll get a really bitter taste and lose that delicate tea flavour. Pop it in for just a short amount of time though and you'll get all the lovely tastes and smells. Beer without hops would be horribly sweet. So we need to bung in a load at 60 minutes to counterbalance that sweetness and give us those classic bitter flavours. In total, we did three hop additions during our boil. And alongside our final hop addition, we added a clarifying agent, which is going to keep our final beer nice and clear.
3: There are lots of different clarifying agents out there, including bentonite, a type of clay, and which is actually made from the swim bladder of a fish. Odd how these things get discovered. Anyway, we fancied keeping ours nice and vegan friendly and didn't have any fish lying around waiting to be gutted, so we used something called protoflock, which comes in a handy compacted tablet. So at this point, we have a 100 degree wort with loads of bits of
1: hop floating around in it. And it kind of looks a bit grim at the moment, really not something you'd fancy a pint of. But it's so close to becoming beer. All we need to do is get it into our fermenter and pitch our yeast. The only problem now, though, is we can't actually pitch our yeast at this temperature because it's way too hot for a good healthy orgy. So we need to cool it down. And you brew have a handy little piece of kit that takes our boiling hot wort out of our kettle and cools it down whilst it transfers it into the fermenter. Super efficient. Back to Matt to explain more.
2: So what we do is we want to use a counterflow chiller. What that is is basically a, a car radiator for beer. We pass really, really cold water next to the really, really hot wort. And then passing directly next to each other drops a 100 degree wort down to a balmy 18 degrees so you want the cold water going really fast and the wort going relatively slow so this will take about five or ten minutes to actually cool this entire kind of 20 liter batch down
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then once we're happy we'll take a sample and pitch the yeast cool so
1: our yeast isn't going to hate it in the it's
2: going to have a great time this is when the orgy happens <laughs> uh going back to will's lovely
1: It's the best metaphor that I've heard all day.
2: (laughs) So, uh, we have successfully cooled down all of our lovely warts. It is now completely all in our shiny stainless steel super clean fermenter. But we're not completely done. So the last thing we need to do is pitch our yeast. So we're going to put that in there now. At the same time, we're going to aerate that. So the yeast loves sugar, loves a good temperature, also loves oxygen. So we need to give it a good shake and a good stir.
1: Kay. So this is basically the magic ingredient going in. This
2: is the magic ingredient.
1: Lucy, you do the honors. Lids up. <laughs> Just straight in. Straight in. hmm Kind of coagulating, yeah. isn't it?
2: Cool, that's perfect.
1: So big spoons out. Big spoons back.
2: There we go. Beautiful. So, Lid is on. Lid's on. We have a completely sealed fermenter. At the top here, we have an airlock. That yeast is going to create a few things. It's actually going to reproduce in there. There is an orgy happening in there right now. <laughs> it's then going to start to get really hungry after that stage, and then it's going to eat all those sugars and then produce alcohol. The byproduct of that is CO2. We want to let that CO2 out the top. We don't want oxygen in the stage. We want this to be a completely almost sterile environment. So we want to keep it as clean as possible, only have wort and only have yeast in there. And that's why we're cleaning throughout the entire day today. So we should have really, really good beer because we were really clean and we're good to go.
1: So we're going to come back in five days and add some extra dry hops. And then what's going to happen?
2: So um, five days, going to ferment, Quite um, vigorously, we're going to dry hop, and then we're going to condition it. So we're going to drop off that trub, drop off all of those um, extra dry hops, um, and then we're going to put it into a bottle. Yeah. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to rack it off into a nice clean vessel and add just enough sugar to restart the fermentation process. Stick it all in the individual bottles, put a cap on it to restart the fermentation in that bottle. It's called bottle conditioning, and that's when it's going to carbonate and become nice and bubbly. And then we're going to let it condition for another five days, those flavours all really come in together, and then enjoy.
3: There we go. That's four hours of brewing, ten days of fermenting, two hours of bottling, and another 14 days of waiting for our beer to be ready to drink. All in one handy podcast-sized chunk. There's a couple of bits that we've skimmed past in this episode, but we will be releasing a few little mini-episodes throughout the series that will go into the process of the more sciencey bits, like gravity readings. Gravity readings are how you can work out how boozy your beer is. So by this time,
1: we were absolutely gagging for
3: a taste of our beer.
1: And through the magic of podcasting, we're fast forwarding to that glorious day. The first taste of our beer. As it's our first ever brew, yeah, it's unlikely to blow anyone's socks off, especially considering the pretty sizable recipe error we made weighing out our grains. But we will be over the moon if the U-Brew guys reckon it tastes half decent. Well, here's what they had to say.
0: <laughs> the smell's good and the colour's good let's see how it tastes
1: i feel a little bit nervous
0: <laughs> oh it's fucking awful <laughs> <laughs> no no it's great let me have another try to uh validate yeah it's quite um cara multi you said you accidentally put in too much crystal i don't think that's too bad the colour's actually acceptable um for an ipa definitely there's something going on some
2: kind of off flavor can you taste anything that it's a slight bit of, like, acidity, maybe from over-sparging or something like that. So it's a slight bit of... Uh, but that's it. Other than that, it's really quite, it's quite nice. For your first beer ever, it's hoppy. It's Was that the first
0: aroma. beer full stop? For first beer
1: full stop ever, ever, ever. Yeah, okay,
0: cool, yeah. It's no, yeah. drinkable, so well done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I want more aroma. I probably want to get rid of some of that acidity. It is cloudy and sedimenty um uh, yeah i'd I'd want some more clarity but i think looking at that uh it's hops yeah Yeah, which is adding a lot of flavor (laughs) is this just
1: gradually going to get more and more flavorful over
3: time
2: no unfortunately no but it's more and more like vegetables (laughs) Ah,
3: lovely how long would you keep a a bowl like this um like when should we drink them by
2: it kind of
0: depends i mean if you've brewed it perfectly then drink it within three months if it's too bitter leave it for like a year and it will taste fine um, for one like this where there is hop sediments in there that is going to change in character for the worse faster so yeah hop sedimenty beers drink them while they're still good
1: would you be willing to put this in the tap room and sell as part of your own collection of beer
0: <clears throat> absolutely not
1: <laughs> and is that because of the taste of it i assume
0: Yes, it's because of the taste of it, yes.
1: <laughs> okay. So have you just been being really nice all this time?
0: No, it's just that we have very high standards and that slight acidity, if it was one that our staff brewed, we would vote it off because of the acidity, uh, because reputation is important.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Thankfully, our reputation made, um, <laughs> is intact, as we called our podcast, We Made a Beer, and we yeah. have in fact made a beer. Made a beer. So that's fine.
2: <laughs> if you gave that to, like... I'm not saying we're unregular people, but like the untrained palate, they'd be like, great.
3: So there you go. It's been a relatively successful start to our brewing process. We've made a drinkable IPA, and that's a great start. Very much so. Take note, wider social circle, that we now have
1: 60 bottles of distinctly average IPA to get rid of in the next three months. As we mentioned, this episode has been heavy on the technique, but hopefully you guys are now pretty familiar with the beer
3: brewing process. So, from here on in, it's all about the sexy stuff. And by the sexy stuff, we mean more beer, more railway arches, and meeting some folks who are doing super exciting things in beer world.
1: Our IPA was made very much under the watchful eye of Matt, but confidence is bolstered. From here on in, the brewing is very much in our hands, which is both exciting and terrifying. Next week it's all about lager. We'll be making our own, finding out why lager is sometimes seen as a bit of a dirty word in the craft beer scene, and chatting to some folks who are championing lager. Head brewer Mario from Orbit Brewery and Geoff, who runs a great pub near Euston Station called The Resting Hare. If you like this episode, please do subscribe. You can also tweet your thoughts to @wemadeabeer or for the real sexy material, follow us on Instagram also at we made a beer
3: and in this instance by sexy we mean high definition pictures of hops grain and us dicking about in a brewery
1: thanks for listening bye
3: Bye.